0: Welcome to the Longview Podcast, a show for Catholic school teachers, Catholic school teachers, and anyone who works to form young people in the faith. I'm Joe.
1: And I'm Elizabeth, and we're here to bring you conversation, contemplation, and some food for thought. So grab your red pen, your favorite beverage, and enjoy. Enjoy.
0: fourth podcast
1: how is that possible
0: this I don't is know.
1: this is the thing is happening it's off the ground
0: Hmm.
1: well since this is our fourth episode i think maybe we should talk a little bit about who we are and what we do oh yeah maybe our listeners if we have any of them left <laughs> still uh might be interested in in our teaching stories so i'm gonna throw it to you tell me about how you got into teaching
0: um I uh, am teaching at uh, a Jesuit high school in Dallas. It's also where I went to, to high school. I'm an alum. And um, they, you know, they welcomed me back with open arms and just started, just wanted to try it out for two years and see, like, who is Mr. Nava in the classroom. Um, I did not do the same program, the same teaching program, so I came in totally fresh and kind of riding on your coattails because you would tell me <laughs> stuff that you've learned and Uh, Harry Wong and whatever, (laughs) classroom discipline. But then uh, the thing I just want to share is that like, you know, when I started off, I was, um, I was, you know, straight out of college and, you know, pretty close to the the kid's age that I was teaching. And so, you know, I was that young, I thought hip, (laughs) fun, fresh teacher and Mm -hmm. they could relate with me and whatnot. And then flash forward to 10 years later, um, still teaching math. And <laughs> when they meet me, they realize right away that I am old, I am married, I have a house, I have a kid, I have a minivan. And so I went from being totally relatable to just like their parents. And so I'm the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> You're the man. And so my identity as a teacher and how I relate to students has definitely changed. Um, and like I said in an earlier episode, now that we have kids, even that informs my teaching and how I uh meet and uh, treat and respond to the needs of my students. So, uh it's been a great journey and I am loving it. Awesome. How about yourself?
1: Well, uh yeah, after I graduated from college, I ended up uh teaching in Atlanta for 2 years and I taught 4th grade. And I loved 4th grade and then uh there was this guy in Dallas who was dating me at the time. His name was Joe Nava. And he wanted me to move to Dallas, and so I said, uh, I guess I will and that was you. And then I moved to Dallas <laughs> and, um, I taught third grade here. And then I taught middle school cause this opportunity opened up to teach middle school and I was petrified of middle school. I thought, Oh, this is going to be just like my worst nightmares, reliving middle school. But it was awesome. I loved teaching seventh grade. I thought they were just, it's just like a magic age in seventh grade where they are not too cool yet. And yet they've gotten over like over like the gooberiness of sixth grade and they kind of like right around December, January, they just kind of this magical time happens in which they are like witty and fun and just real people. Uh, and then quickly that eviscerates right around May and then they come back in eighth grade and they're like, so cool. Um, but I loved middle school. I loved teaching there and um, that, and that grade level in that age group. And then, and then uh, we got married in that time and then We had a kid, and so I said, well, I think I'm going to stay home and uh, hang out with our kids for a while, but I've still been helping out with ACE stuff on the side, and I love working with teachers and encouraging teachers, and that's what I do.
0: That's a really great story. Thanks for sharing. (laughs) I really like that story. You
1: like the part about me coming to Dallas and marrying you and taking care of your kids. We. (laughs) We. Our kids. Our kids.
0: The other thing that I think is great mentioning is that I've had the privilege of teaching your former students. Oh, yeah, that's really wild. Like, okay, Mrs. Stewart and then Mrs. Nava, and then now you're getting. Not Mrs.
1: Stewart, that's my mom. Hi, Franny.
0: Oh, sure. Uh, You were Miss Stewart and then Mrs. Nava, and then they come to me in high school and start calling me Mr. Nava, and I would have to tell them day one, like, uh, all right, who's had Mrs. Nava or Miss Stewart? Okay. Uh, lower your expectations now. <laughs> this is not going to be the same. And uh, no, it's great to see um, how they were in seventh grade. And then uh, even be able to teach them freshman year. And then some of those guys, their senior year. Yeah. That's been become.
1: cool for me too to be able to stay in touch with them just through our interactions with them at your, you know, at, at extracurriculars and football games and whatnot. And just to, to kind of talk about those, you know, the seeds that we planted, the seeds that we plant and the, the, the hope that we have for the work that we did and to kind of see it come to fruition a few years down the road has been really cool for me to just keep track of those students. And
0: you might call it seeing the long view,
1: the long view. (laughs) (laughs) I've done that in a while. Um, all right. Well, thank you for sharing your story. You too. We have an awesome, awesome guest today. Our guest is Alec Torgan. I've known Alec since he was placed in Mobile To teach in the ACE program because I'm from Mobile and my parents are great supporters of ACE and I got to meet Alec through them and we've kept tabs on him for the last few years and are still in touch and so happy to have him on the show. Welcome, Alec.
2: Thank you. It is so good to be virtually with the two of you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because you're coming (laughs) to us from far away in Chicago.
2: Way up here. Yes, ma'am.
1: What are you doing in Chicago these days?
2: I am teaching children. Uh, teaching children. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I've i been in and out of the classroom, but I'm back in the magical world you just described of middle school, uh, teaching mm-hmm. the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade math and science.
1: Yeah. What are your thoughts on seventh graders?
2: You know, so that's my homeroom, um, and I love them absolutely dearly. I will say that um, seventh grade is a good reminder of... Um, how so many of us are uh, very far from our best in the world of middle school. Um, It's true.
1: It's true. There's peaks and valleys. uh, There are,
2: there are. But I love the way that you described, like, even the progression of the year where there's, you know, that time when they're just firmly planted as seventh graders and then you wake up one day and you realize that they're already kind of acting like eighth graders and the sixth graders Mm are starting to act like seventh graders. Mm -hmm. Um, But same thing. I love the middleness of everything. And that's probably what part of what's so hard about, life for them sometimes, but they're like stuck in between the the need to be told a lot about what to do and the desire to be told nothing of what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a really beautiful and challenging tension. Uh and they yeah. they carry it as gracefully as they can.
1: My grandmother used to call that neither fish nor fowl. You just you don't know what you are. You're mm-hmm. just kinda stuck in the middle. Yeah,
2: that's a that's a great way to put it. Um and I, I love it. It's been it's been fun to be their homeroom teacher and just kind of watch them swirl around and kind of figure out where they're going.
1: So you're teaching math?
2: Um yep, yeah, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade math and sixth, seventh, and eighth grade science.
1: Now were you That's always a lot
0: of preps.
2: It's uh it's oh. enough preps for sure, yes. Uh plenty. Six? Six, yeah, which six. is fewer than I had in mobile, so I feel good about it. <laughs> uh down, yeah. down from seven.
1: Uh, Anything that's down from seven is good. Yeah. Anything that's down is good.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But we're, uh, as uh, you know, if there are Catholic school teachers listening, as many know at, at small schools, sometimes, you know, you are the math and science department, and that's just uh, that's right. how it is. So, yeah. But uh, yes. We
1: wear all the hats. All of the hats.
2: But definitely a math teacher by training and a science teacher by necessity. I hope none of my children are listening for that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Did
1: you uh, did you plan to be a teacher? Did you think you were going to be a teacher?
2: That's a great question. I, it was on my mind from a pretty young age, but it was always sort of like the yeah, but I wonder what I'll really figure out. I want to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I remember reading in like seventh grade this magazine called Slam, all about basketball players, <laughs> um, and there was a story of a actually a guy from Illinois, a different part of Illinois, East St. Louis, named Darius Miles, and it was just talking about. Uh, because of his zip code and his family's socioeconomic background, what his school experience was like. And I remember as a seventh grader just being like, that seems really unfair. Um, And noticing the same kinds of conversations and things uh, around the school options in my hometown of Minneapolis and thinking, huh, it seems like good teachers should be at all the schools. And I want to be a good teacher at a school that might not always get a good teacher. Um, So I'm still working on the part where I try to become a good teacher. But... um, (laughs) But yeah, it was kind of an early, early bug that I was wondering about, and after a, a brief stint with thinking that the, uh, the life of an actuary was going to be for me, I quickly realized Woof. Yeah. Woof. <laughs> yeah. I realized after one interview freshman year for an internship that uh, that, that was not, not my route of, uh, of vocation.
0: Well, luckily we don't have any actuary fans out there listening to this podcast. So. I was
2: gonna say we just alienated a good 0.2 percent of your uh, listener base. Can you
0: can you tell our listeners the the twelve of them that are out there? Uh, the, now that that actuary is gone, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the the demographics and the the teacher ratio, or just to tell us a little bit about your school and that situation that you have there.
2: Sure. So um. My uh, my school is situated on the south side of Chicago um uh, in a neighborhood called Englewood uh which is relevant I I've learned a lot in the last year and a half about how much neighborhoods matter um in Chicago um and we are the last Catholic school in Englewood Englewood being um for a very very long time uh a predominantly African American um and lower income community so we serve um it's a 100% um, African American school. We are really beautifully and proudly um, black and African American, and it's really neat to see how the Catholic faith is intertwined with um, with pride and reverence to black culture and to African and ac- African American culture. Everything from um, not only saying our morning prayers and our pledge of allegiance, but a beautiful thing called the Black Pledge of Allegiance, um, and just this idea of um, what it means to have pride in your culture and your heritage and your background and your community. Um, the, the vast majority of our, of our children are Christian, but most are not Catholic necessarily. And that brings us to one of my favorite classic lines that we often referred to in ACE and I think was stolen from, um, a Cardinal, maybe Cardinal Whirl or someone before him. Um, but we teach because we don't teach because they're Catholic. We teach because we are Catholic. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's a really neat, neat community and it's really cool. Um, a ton of families, are multi-generation families at the school. So the principal taught a lot of mothers and grandmothers of our current kids, um, wow. which is a really, really neat thing. Um, and it's just, a, it's a special place where um, folks in the area come and they say, hey, we know that we can't necessarily do the full tuition thing, but we're committed to, to finding an option that's best for our child. And whether that's the faith-based component or the small class sizes, as we only we have about 215 kids from pre-K to eight. Mm-hmm. Um, so my classes are 23, 24, and 13. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever reason brings them there, they come very intentionally, um, and they come just with this desire to um, to really give their children who are filled with such potential a great opportunity to meet that potential. And our school does a really beautiful job of saying. Come as you are, pay what you can, and um, and we'll figure it out. You can drop your kid off as early as 6.15 and pick them up as late as 6.15 and know that they'll have a healthy and paid-for breakfast and lunch and snack um, and that they'll be um, learning all sorts of things from, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic to um, participating in a gospel choir and learning about hip-hop dance and um, telling their own story through art uh and drumming and all sorts of stuff so it's just really it's really a special place where uh, families are coming with a lot of different need and uh i know i'm rambling but the last thing that Englewood is really often known for especially around chicago is just um it's one of sort of the token neighborhoods that comes up when talking about um uh violent crime in neighborhoods and um unfortunately the reality for a lot of our kids is there's just a lot of trauma In various capacities, and uh, we have an amazing team of of counselors, many of whom are kind of doing their like one year residencies, Um, and and just being able to meet those kids where they're at and say, hey, we know that you're carrying a lot into school every day, and we're going to try to help you unpack that and um, help you learn how to carry that um, is a really special part of the school as well. So that might have been a little more than you asked for. No, that's that's exactly that's a, what we want to yeah, hear. Yeah,
0: that's such a beautiful and amazing picture. How did you hear about that? How did how did you get there?
2: What brought uh, you there? Great question. It's a, it's a pretty ridiculous story, but the um the shortish version of it would be that I was actually working for Ace. I was supporting our teachers around the country uh, out of South Bend, Indiana, and um I got the I had the great gift of visiting a lot of classrooms. And just seeing a lot of creative ideas in schools, principals and superintendents. Every time I'd visit schools, uh, I was just missing more and more, um, you know, the ability to dive deeply into one of those schools and really walk with families and their children uh, in a special way that a teacher gets to, as you know. So I was doing that whole discernment thing and, um, and I was kind of in this mode of, okay, am I staying in South Bend and working in the big picture? Am I moving to Minneapolis to kind of work on the Catholic Church's um efforts to close the opportunity gap there? Am I gonna go back to Mobile? Which of those three is it gonna be? And so uh my my dear mentor and friend, John John Schoenig, had the wise advice of saying, Listen, you should really take some serious time to think about this and you should do it in sort of a neutral site. Um, because if you've Go to Mobile to think about it. You're gonna <laughs> you're gonna move to Mobile. Yeah. Uh, and stay with Minneapolis. So, I went to Chicago just to um, just to think and pray and have some conversations. And one Saturday night, I I couldn't find any chapels that were open. Um, just riding around on the L from chapel to chapel, and uh, a good reminder that Jesus is also on the L. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, got a text from a friend through Ace said, "Hey, I'm in town from New York. I heard you're in Chicago right now." Come meet me at this bar, which is uh which was great. I don't actually drink, but it was good to see him. And the funny thing was I was looking for a chapel. I landed at a bar and met a stranger who started talking about this school called the Academy of Saint Benedict the African. And I wow. somewhat jokingly, but pretty honestly, said, I love Benedict and Africa. Tell me more. <laughs> um, and then I spent months trying to convince myself that this wasn't Providence and uh finally opened myself up to the reality that it was. And uh and here we are.
0: That is wow. absurd. Are well, you serious? That's an amazing How story. How have I not heard this story? That's
2: a real thing. That's a real thing. Um <laughs> Yeah, it was literally I, I always call Chicago my neutral site where I, you know, jokingly then, you know, it became home. So Wow. Uh-huh. What a story. You're yeah.
0: a, you're the you know I guess less than stereotypical. It's the it's the you get what you ask for, young adult <laughs> discerning
2: right. kind of like all and all then, the...
0: You know, Just, God God answering your prayers, like, okay, you asked, so here you go. Here you go. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, pretty spoiled. I, uh, <laughs> about as close to getting struck by lightning or getting a letter in the mail from God as you can get. <laughs> so, um, and to think I tried to ignore it for a couple months, it's pretty, it's almost embarrassing, but here we are.
0: Well, That's amazing.
1: That is an amazing story. I love that.
2: Thanks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've asked you to pick a gospel that we could sit with for a little bit and kind of just pray through. So I'm going to share the gospel now and then I'll open it up and we'll reflect on it a little bit. Great. So let's pray. Reading from the gospel according to Luke. There was a scholar of the law who stood up to test him and said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He said in reply, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He replied to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But because he wished to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man fell victim to robbers as he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stripped and beat him, and went off leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, but when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. Likewise, a Levite came to the place, and when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. But a Samaritan traveler who came upon him was moved with compassion at the sight. He approached the victim, poured oil and wine over his wounds, and bandaged them. Then he lifted him up on his own animal, took him to an inn, and cared for him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper with the instruction, Take care of him. If you spend more than what I have given you, I shall repay you on my way back. Which of these three, in your opinion, was neighbor to the robber's victim? He answered, The one who treated him with mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Jesus asks us to love our neighbor as ourself. What is difficult about loving myself? What is difficult about loving my neighbor? When do I pass by on the opposite side of someone I see suffering? When have I been treated with mercy? A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. There was a scholar of the law who stood up to test him and said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He said in reply, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He replied to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But because he wished to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man fell victim to robbers as he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stripped and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road, but when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. Likewise, a Levite came to the place, and when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. But a Samaritan traveler who came upon him was moved with compassion at the sight. He approached the victim, poured oil and wine over his wounds and bandaged them. Then he lifted him up on his own animal, took him to an inn and cared for him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper with the instruction, Take care of him. If you spend more than what I have given you, I shall repay you on my way back. Which of these three, in your opinion, was neighbor to the robber's victim? He answered, The one who treated him with mercy. Jesus said to him, Go, and do likewise. Alec, what was it that stood out to you about this gospel?
2: I mean, so many things, um, certainly small details like the beginning of just as, as a teacher, it's always awesome to see Jesus just killing the game as a teacher, um,
0: <laughs>
2: you know, just the, the classic throwing questions back at the questioner and, you know, finally answering with a beautiful story, but still, still asking the student or the scholar to, uh, to really draw the lesson and never giving the answer. So, I mean, certainly a soft spot in my heart as a teacher for that piece. Um, but I think so much of, I think any kind of, any kind of ministry, any kind of service, um, is, is this idea of we, we pass by each other all the time in life. Um, and I kind of mentioned this with our, with our children and, and what they carry with them into school, but you know how how rarely do we actually know um what our what our friends our coworkers certainly our students are are carrying um you know everyone who passed by they didn't necessarily witness what had happened uh to the man on the side of the road. they obviously could see the state he was in, but just that idea that in the end the titles didn't matter how much of a rush anyone was in didn't matter, even the fact that the Samaritan himself couldn't be everything that he needed that, um, the man on the side of the road needed and came to a point where he said, Hey, I'm going to take this person to someone else and try to set them up to be served, you know, almost like this little team village effort. Mm -hmm. Um, just that, again, that idea that we're called to love each other in this deep way, this familial way, truly of saying your pain while I can never know it in the same way is pain that, that I want to take on with you. Um, and I also know that I can't I can't do it alone, I can't help you in all the ways you need by myself, um, but I also won't walk by you and leave you alone. Um, so I think there's just such rich imagery for any of us, certainly again in, in careers and in ministry, and I'm sure obviously I count parenting in that, but just in general as humans who interact with each other, um, that idea of saying, I don't necessarily know how you'd label yourself, and I don't know what led you to be where you are, but as father Greg Boyle would say instead of instead of judging someone for how they carry um, how they carry their pain or how they carry what they have to deal with being in awe of just how they carry it um, and just walking with them so um, yeah, I think it's just it provides so much to reflect on when we think about all the ways in which it's just easy to miss things as a teacher, I guess, as far as um, who's been on the side of the road. Like you asked those questions, you know, when have we, when have we passed by? When have we gone to the other side? So, Mm -hmm.
1: yeah, I think it's so easy to just assume the position that when our children walk into school in between those two bells, that they leave everything else the rest of the world and their life behind them. And they're there in that classroom, but that, that isn't the case. And you can't just leave your sufferings and your burdens at the door when you walk into a classroom, especially as a child. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter where our, where our kids are coming from, what neighborhood they're coming from, what, I mean, everybody has burdens. Everybody has pain and sadness and, and difficulty and wounds. Um, you know, I, I've been privileged to serve in in Catholic schools that are not your typical, story of schools that are struggling to keep the doors open. I've I've served Mm -hmm. in schools that are thriving. um, But I've seen firsthand that, uh, you know, a lot of times people would make the assumption, well, there can't be any pain there. Everything's fine. Everything's great. No, there's, there's pain everywhere. You know, there's sadness everywhere. And um, we just have to look at the person in front of us and see them as a person who brings all of their wounds, body and soul to our classroom and how can we serve them?
2: Yeah, I love that idea. And and I I when I think of this passage I think very much of um a a wonderful man named Howard Thurman who wrote a book called Jesus and the Disinherited and um it ever since I read it it's shaped how I think about loving other people and interacting and certainly teaching and he has this brilliantly beautiful line where he he is thinking about people who are in kind of positions of service I suppose and and certainly avoiding sort of that temptation to do the savor savior complex thing um, and that question of whether or not we can relate to those uh, with whom we're walking and he, he simply says, we must all at once have um we must all at once have an experience of universality and an, a reverence to personality and that idea that again, like you said, no matter how fancy the school or how run down it might appear or what the differences and similarities are between us and our kids, we have to remember. The beautiful, beautiful things that unite us um, and that we have in common and value the really important differences that we might never be able to fully relate to mm-hmm. um, and it 's that that kind of tricky but important dance between those two things that I think really really marks how effective we are as uh, as educators
0: yeah. I think what is speaking to me from your reflections it's really challenging because um I think it goes back to the question about um, loving myself and Mm. all all, this is kind of confession-y, but like one of the prayers that I always have to tell myself or ask God is, Lord, help me to love others more than I love myself Mm. because I will own up to my own selfishness, my self-centeredness. And what I admire with hearing you talk, Alec, is, you know in order to do what you do like you really have to love the people that you serve the people the the students that you teach the families that you work with and i think of and it's just so easy and maybe it's just the catholic guilt of like all the ways that i failed and all the ways that i put myself before my students mm. and those challenging is you know I'm, I'm, I'm what i'm seeing in the story is like the the, 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 the victim doesn't cry out
2: you know right. the victim isn't mm. asking
0: for help it's like So I'm putting myself in the story, I'm thinking, how many students do I, like, wait for them to ask me for help, you know, versus, Mm -hmm. like, not that they're necessarily drowning or they're beaten up on the side of the road, but, like, you know, do I go to them and say, what can I do for you or you should be doing this? I know, I mean, I guess there's a tension, right, because I'm in high school and part of this is them um, becoming better students and self-managed, but at the same time, the loving thing would also uh, be to, to reach out more. And, and I, you know, sometimes I, I wait for students to ask me, uh, if what they need versus me going to them and saying, you know, I'm here for you because, you know, obviously because out of love, like, I want you to succeed. I want you to thrive. And, um, I don't know. It's just, it's just so challenging and it definitely gets me out of my comfort zone. Mm. Um, cause that's, I mean, that's just such a, a, a such a difficult model to, 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 to follow of like you, you know you're on you're doing your own business walking down the road and like literally like time stops nothing else matters because of the great um move with compassion at the side of of the samaritan traveler um sorry the samaritan traveler move with compassion just stops everything like okay this is everything else that i've been doing what's on my mind right now is secondary because right now this person in front of me needs me and or not necessarily like you said the savior complex but that mm-hmm. hey i can do something for this person and because i love them let me do something um hopefully they let me do something for them so i don't know it's just uh it's easy for me to like think mm-hmm. of like just i think what's hard with my teaching is like i'm always thinking too of like mm-hmm. what more could i have done right mm-hmm. you know you have your success stories and you have like the, the definitely the, the the failures but then I think what also kind of haunts me—not necessarily haunts me—but just I could always have done more. What more could I have done? What was I holding back because of you know for whatever reason, um, convenience, staying comfortable, being selfish with you know okay, let me just focus on what I need to do and not necessarily what my students need. I think the other trap I have is like just letting the curriculum you know the the, the material dictate <laughs> what I how I relate with my students versus just the student themselves, you know, because mm-hmm. in the, I mean, I think what humbles me again, when you can see the long view, right. Mm-hmm. Is what do students remember? What's, why are we even educators, right? Is it, it's not because like, Oh, I really taught them that thing, but it's because, Hey, you know, I was really present to them and I was able to help them grow and, and, and walk with them on this journey. And, uh, you know, that's what speaks volumes That that's what, that's what transformed me, you know? So not necessarily the, the the material that I was given that I was, uh, you know, asked or forced (laughs) or taught to, to, to learn, but, uh, just the the relationship of someone saying, Hey, I believe in you. And, or, you know, you're better than this, or, um, you can be successful. And, you know,
2: sure I don't know for sure, man. That's a very real thing. The amount of times that a kid is doing who knows what and the response is just like, Hey, I'm trying to teach you this important math thing like, oh my gosh, how yeah. off was I You know. Yeah. Mhm. Mm-hmm.
1: I've never really thought about the point you brought out, like of the Samaritan passing this guy off and saying, like, "Oh, I can't finish this job, but I'll bring him to someone who can." And I think a lot of times, yeah, I have that thought of, like, "Well, look, I'm trying to take care of my children, my family. Like, I've got all these things. I can't stop and help this person right now." Like. I, I'm not going to be able to do the job right. So instead of taking the first step, I just mm. keep walking. Um, and I think that, that that is a beautiful reminder that you don't have to be able to finish the entire task. All you have to do is take the first step and and bring in others, like you said, the village, the, the people, the, the community that can help support this person who mm. needs the help.
0: Absolutely. Well, I guess what, what feeds you, uh, Alec in, in your teaching and in the situation that you're in to be able to, to give, right? You can't give what you don't have. So what, what is it that, that feeds you in,
2: in your teaching? Good question. Um, I mean, certainly it's funny with, uh, with my start to my teaching career. Well, I guess, I guess my first year of teaching, I was living with monks, um, and then the next two years of teaching, I was living in an intentional community and we had uh community prayer and just like a very vibrant and intentional um, sort of home to return to in all my years of teaching that kind of um, was sort of a classic filling of my cup so that I could, you know, try to pour out again the next day. Um, and I've been really blessed to be able to continue that. So I actually yet again live in an intentional community situation and that includes prayer and actually the door very, right next to my bedroom door is the chapel door. Um, and uh, we're blessed to have Jesus in the tabernacle and everything. And um, and so just to have that very tangible um, centering to make sure that I do, you know, take time for the prayer that I need, probably not nearly enough, certainly not nearly enough, um, is a big piece of it. Um, and it's funny, my job for three years was to, partially to help teachers make sure that they were taking care of themselves so they could take care of others and um, trying to let some of my own words ring true in my life of realizing that playing basketball um, on Sunday mornings is a really big part of me being the person that I should be. Um, I have um, the great privilege of um, of being a part of a three-way shared Google spreadsheet of intentionality. Um <laughs> Yes, that's that's the proper response. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, I I hope it's okay with the two others that that this is now podcast-wide shared. Um, Twelve listeners minus one, actually. Exactly. The the long view spreadsheet style. Um, (laughs) No, we just – it's an ace classmate of mine who taught in New Orleans while I was in Mobile, and then we actually went to undergrad together. Um, And then – A classmate of yours, Elizabeth, I believe, Tim Will. Um, Oh, indeed. Wonderful human being. Just shout-outs left and right tonight. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's really neat because the three of us are in, you know, all at once we're, you know, fairly young adult, you know, white Catholic dudes, but also we're in, like, pretty different places in life. And it's really beneficial. So we have um, uh, the third member, Patrick, is also in Chicago here, but on the other side of town. So we can see each other and be together and, um, and just, you know, spill our guts over a a nice meal at Wendy's every once in a while. But, um, the three of us have been able to stay in touch and we have a goal of trying to do seven things daily, um, to help us be our best selves. And we kind of have over the course of the last eight months or so discussed that doing all seven every day is not necessarily even the goal or realistic, but just shooting for, um, certainly daily prayer and physical activity and reading and these different things make us better people. And all that, I tell all of that to say that uh, we've now been blessed to have two um, intentionality spreadsheet summits where the three of us have actually gotten together in person and, uh, and kind of just hashed out how it's going. And the accountability has been great for us. And obviously it's not for everyone, but the chart idea works for us. But Tim wisely and brilliantly just said, it seems so simple. He's the father of three Uh, A father of three, and he said, "It seems so simple, but it's amazing how much better I am at parenting when I'm a better, when I'm my best self, when I'm being a good person." Uh, And it's this simple and beautiful reflection on the fact that, you know, when I'm well rested, I, you know, speak to my wife in the way that I'm proud of, and that my son and daughter can watch and say, "This is how men and women interact, and um, and how we respect each other, and all these simple things." And it's a long way to answer your question, Joe. To say it's been such. A continually eye-opening simple experience of saying when I do simple things that make me a better person I'm a better teacher and it's not always about you know pushing my lesson to incorporate technology in a brand new different way than I ever had before and sometimes it's just about saying hey if I can be my absolute best Mr. T tomorrow as just a human then like that's worth like you said Joe those things that are much beyond the curriculum um so, I guess the answer to that is a combo of prayer, spreadsheets, and uh, the simple reflection of taking care of myself, which is a struggle always.
1: There's a lot of truth in that. That's
2: yeah,
0: that's, that's awesome. So great, such a good reminder, uh, and it's definitely speaking to me. So I really appreciate you sharing all of that. Um, Wow.
1: I think you should publish blank copies of said spreadsheet and market them. We can link them here on the podcast for anyone who's interested <laughs> in having their own spreadsheet. I mean, of course, building the community is something you have to do on your own, right? but
2: you know, <laughs> building the spreadsheet already done for you.
1: Already done for you. Well, we already
2: got it in a what. Google Doc. In a Google Doc. What better way? <laughs> I will I'll confer with the rest of the intentionality brothers and I'll let you know.
1: Yeah. See what they say. Absolutely. See what they
2: Absolutely. say.
0: Absolutely. But that's I mean, yeah, just shout out to any teachers out there listening. And that's just a great witness testimony to, to take care of yourselves. Give yourself some time. Take care of yourself so that um, the teaching is a joy and the teaching is a gift and a, a gift of love and rather than a, a burden. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. It's well, so
1: much easier said than done. You know, like how easy is it to come home with that stack of grading and just be like, I can't do anything for myself. Mm. I can't go work out. I can't watch my favorite show. I have to grade all this you know all the handwriting papers gosh handwriting (laughs) is the end of me grading handwriting was seriously like the end of me oh man um but it's really easy to make excuses of why you can't put yourself first and it seems kind of counterintuitive and we talk about service of well you should make time for yourself you have to take care of yourself because if you don't take care of yourself you can't take care of anybody else and in the in our house sometimes we refer refer to it as the oxygen mask theory of You know, well, I just need to put my oxygen mask on myself first, because if I don't do this, then everyone else is also going to pass out and we're all going (laughs) to (laughs) die. This plane is going down, people. Put your oxygen masks on.
0: So, I will confess also that I am notorious for feeding myself first. Joe
1: <laughs> heavily subscribes to the oxygen mask theory when it comes to serving his own plate and eating it
0: rapidly. So, uh, a, a hangry father is not a good father. There you go. That's my excuse. You know, we all. My wife's cooking is so amazing that I can't not eat it there, there it is. is. Oh, you're oh, so. sorry. There it is. You're very We're
2: going to twist that one around. <laughs> mm-hmm, hmm you're very kind. I love it, I love it. But yeah. that's, that's funny, and, and it's, good. it's good to even be having this conversation because if, uh, if there happens to be a human or two listening, who knows me, they would be probably laughing right now because I stink at this. That's why I need a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and like, and, and mm-hmm. I'm going to spoil it right now. I have the lowest average of the three, you know, but we're working on <laughs> that.
1: Oh, there's a competition? You know, it's, of course it's competition. It's actually not. We're
2: really good about having it not be a competition, but also I still have that internal thing of saying yeah but my numbers though they're just low um <laughs> but uh but that's exactly why you know for for me the answer was hey I, I don't hold myself accountable for this but if it's if it's shared with these guys i know that in a beautiful way they're going to call me up and be like hey like have you been committing to this like what do you need to do what do you need to change um and so yeah part- right,
1: right. that accountability
2: it's a it's a real thing who knew yeah
1: Well, I'm going to pivot here and ask you a little bit about your time working for the Alliance for Catholic Education. So first of all, for anybody who's listening who doesn't uh, know ACE or the Alliance for Catholic Education, could you give us in a nutshell kind of what it is and what the mission is?
2: Sure. Uh, I hope I'm not too rusty because this used to be a big part of what I did. Uh, So ACE, the Alliance for Catholic Education, um, has many branches now, but it's been around about 25 years and the main or not the main, but one of the original um, ministries and programs is something called ACE Teaching Fellows. Um, so we take college graduates from all over the place and all sorts of majors, and it's a two-year opportunity to serve under-resourced Catholic schools across the country while living in an intentional Christian community, um, and to top it off, working toward a fully funded Master of Education from the University of Notre Dame. Um, so, sort of
1: that was a great elevator it sounds very rehearsed <laughs> Boom.
2: you know it's rusty rehearsed, but it's it was in there
1: just briefly, I would like you to take us through one of the most creative efforts that Ace has <laughs> ever dreamt up, which was your time driving i don 't really want to call it a bus, it was really like an r v like it was a glorified r v but driving an r v <laughs> that was wrapped in glorious like ace logos and slogans about catholic schools being good for america driving that across the country names
0: of all the schools
1: yeah it didn't right. have names mm-hmm. of all the catholic schools in the country were printed on the bus it did
2: it so did.
1: tell us what you did and I, I want the takeaway i want is like what did you learn about catholic schools in america through your time on the bus
2: Whew. all right that's i like i like that uh, that question with this. Um, but thank you. Um, the ACE bus, you're right. was not truly a bus, but its title was the ACE bus, um, was an incredible adventure for a year. And I, I often reflected and said that it was a great year and I was probably pretty grateful it was only one year. (laughs) Um, but it was a a 50 city national bus tour with the objective of celebrating the gift of Catholic schools in our country. Um, and it was the 20 year anniversary of ACE's existence. And, um, uh, the beautiful man who founded Ace, Father Tim Scully, um, was reflecting in some meeting before I was ever working there and saying that we shouldn't celebrate at Notre Dame. This is not a celebration of us or this place. It's a celebration of the people and the places that make Catholic schools great and uh, make them thrive and make them such an integral part of the mission of the church. So on the bus we went. Uh, we drove, I believe, about 30,000 miles around the country. I think I was in the driver's seat for about 10 of those 1,000 um, And it was just an utter blast, and it was also ridiculous, Uh, um, uh, not without challenges and exhaustion and things we deemed necessary curbs and necessary branches (laughs) that we sometimes had to hit. Uh, Because sometimes it was a branch or a car, and you just be out for the branch. But uh, so we we quickly learned how to drive a giant RV that was one pound under the uh, requirement to get a Uh, CDL. And we would... To these cities, Dallas was our first stop, as yeah. you recall. And um, so we drove from South Bend to Dallas. Uh, actually, just two of us and a big group of our team met us there. We were there for the Shamrock Series football game for Notre Dame, um, but we had great opportunities to celebrate um, a variety of different events. So celebrating the schools themselves by having kind of uh, a balance between pep rallies and prayer services um, at the schools which is high energy and kind of one of the objectives was just to say, Hey, local news and local contributors and local people come celebrate this great gift, pay attention and take note of what happens at these places. Um, and then also kind of these sort of, we call them social events where it'd be a dinner or a cocktail hour or something like that to celebrate the gift of all the people who, you know, do the behind the scenes work, whether it's the teachers and the administrators and the school leaders or um, families who support our teachers or you know, financial supporters or whatever it might be and just basically saying, hey, we're going to do we're gonna tour this country and we're going to say thank you and we're going to say, hey, everybody, look at what happens here. Um, and so when you ask about kind of um, the takeaway, um, I'm going to just continue to be just blatantly cliche, I suppose. Um, one of the messages I always hope to impart to my children as it's one of the most important messages I received from uh, a dear mentor of mine in college, and, and one I reference often, is just a simple phrase: "The best is yet to come." Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I love it so much because if we believe it's true, and I do, um, it sure makes having hope a heck of a lot easier yeah. and more realistic. Yeah. Um, and um, and seeing these schools across the country—rural, urban, suburban, big, small—you name it—it it was so clear to see that these places are just plain old special. I would think any one of the school leaders at all of those schools would say, I can tell you all about it, but please come on by and you'll feel it. Um, And that might not always, you know, make someone who's data-driven super happy to hear, um, but they're just special, special places that you need to feel and experience. Um, And, you know, as early as, as recently as this past week, we hear news about schools closing and under-resourced populations, uh, you know, losing out and it's just, a continued reminder to me to say that, no, like we, we have to live in a world where these Catholic schools continue to thrive because they, they've been around a long time. And in many ways in number, they may be shrinking, but I fully am of the belief that the best is yet to come. And I have the great gift of having to kind of chance to be on this silly bus and see all of them in action and say, absolutely. When you walk in those doors, you see that the best is yet to come and that these places are worth fighting for because our children are worth fighting for. So um, I promise I didn't actually mean to be that cliche at the end. No, that happened.
1: was beautiful. That was so well said but, and, and it really is the truth.
0: Uh I just somehow got reminded uh Alec that there is an Ace Bus Twitter account. And so <laughs> I scrolled through. There are five hundred and ninety-five tweets. Uh anyone Jeez. out there, uh go ahead and look up on Twitter at the Ace Bus. And on uh September 9, 2013, the first tweet, beep beep. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure the bio
1: the bio is, I am a bus. I know oh, this yeah. because I happened to look at it yesterday. I am a bus. <laughs> Profound. That's so amazing. So if you're interested in more of the Ace Bus story, you can follow. Well, you can't really follow it anymore. I, I wonder whatever happened to that bus. But uh, you can check out the archives of at the Ace Bus on Twitter.
2: I love it. I love that it lives on in social media infamy. That's Forever beautiful. and ever.
1: And if you're interested Jeez. in more information about the Alliance for Catholic Education, you can find them on the internet at ace.nd.edu and also on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and anywhere your social media is sold. <laughs> it's pretty much everywhere. <laughs>
2: exactly. So, exactly. All right, Alec,
1: bring us home. What piece of advice, what pe- words of wisdom do you want to give to our listeners?
2: Jeez. Um. First of all, thank you again. This it's uh, neat to be on the podcast, and honestly, even even more special just to get to reconnect with the two of you. But um, yeah, I don't know how to how to wrap up other than to to wrap up the same way I do with my kids every day. And um, and we certainly when thinking about hope and it's the idea that uh, that hope abounds and that the best is yet to come. Um, I try to remind them with my actions and without just using words every day how wonderful they are. But the last words I try to say to them every day, uh, which I truly deeply believe is you're great. Go be great. Um, and so I suppose that's my message for uh, anyone out there listening. You're great. Go be great.
1: That wraps up our episode for today. Thanks so much for joining us here on the long view podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation, be sure to subscribe on iTunes to be up to date on our latest episodes. Also share our podcast with a friend, another teacher, an ace friend, your mom, anyone that you think would enjoy our conversation. Your reviews and comments on iTunes help us to show up in their search bar, so we always appreciate that. If you'd like to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Facebook at Dallas Ace Advocates, and we're also on Twitter at Dallas Advocates. We'll see you here next time on the Longview Podcast.